Our text this morning is beginning in Luke chapter 7, so you can turn there, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, the title of the message, Two People with Great Faith. Luke chapter 7, faith is a firm belief, an absolute trust in the promises of God. Jesus told his disciples uh, that mustard seed-sized faith can move mountains. He censured his disciples when they were fearful in the storm when it rose up on the Sea of Galilee, and again when they worried that they hadn't brought enough food along for the trip with these words, O ye of little faith. He said the same words to Peter, who was stepping out of the boat, walking on the water, and then getting a, a, a glimpse away from the Lord and onto the storm. He said, O ye of little faith. There were two people who were commended by Jesus Christ in the New Testament for having great faith. Both of them were Gentiles. I wonder, what would he say about your faith today? So let's look at these two individuals who encountered Christ and, and were commended for their great faith. The first is found here in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. We can also read about the, the event in Matthew chapter 8, 5 through 13. But we read about the great faith of a Roman centurion. The setting in verse 1, Now when he had, entered, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of, all the, of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. This miracle took place in the village of Capernaum. It was a fishing village on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was actually the hometown of one of the disciples. It was Matthew, who was a collector of taxes. And he was at the seat of customs when Jesus called him, probably taking taxes from the fish that were caught in the Sea of Galilee. We mentioned last week that Capernaum was the place where Jesus healed many. The demon-possessed man came to him in the synagogue. The paralytic man was lowered through the roof by his four friends. Peter's mother-in-law was from Capernaum, woman with the issue of blood that we saw last week, and also uh, Jairus' daughter brought back to life. All of these took place in Capernaum. The miracle took place, place near the beginning of Christ's public ministry. Isaiah had prophesied that this very area would be the place where Jesus would do many miracles and minister. Matthew talks about that and quotes Isaiah. Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which was upon the sea, uh, upon the sea coast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people that sat in darkness saw a great light. To them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The healing of the centurion's servant happened just after Jesus finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, returned again to Capernaum. The miracle was performed at the, re- at the request of a particular man, a Roman, and he was a centurion. 
He's the first of seven Roman centurions mentioned in the New Testament. John MacArthur writes, it's noteworthy that each of the Roman centurions mentioned in the New Testament are spoken of favorably. And from the biblical record, it seems likely that each of them became a believer in Christ. It's an interesting study. Roman legions were made up of around 5,800 soldiers at about this time. And in that group, there would be smaller groups of 100, and the centurion, by his very name, would be the, the captain of those 100 men. This particular centurion may have been under Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee, or he was connected with the Roman garrison that was located there at Capernaum. We would expect a Roman centurion to be someone in our mind, we probably think someone who's calloused, uh, someone who gets the job done, he's unconcerned about the feelings of others. We would expect him be, to be rather proud of his position. This centurion was just the opposite. He was concerned about one of his servants. The word that Matthew uses for servant here describes a young child. Luke uses the term doulos, which is a slave. So this person could have been a child born to a servant in this Roman centurion's household. The text says that he was dear unto him. Dear is a word that uh, is translated in the New Testament as honorable or precious or highly valued. Luke writes that he was sick. Matthew gives us a little more detail in that. Matthew 8, 6, My servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. So lying at home, unable to get up out of the bed. Sick with palsy. Paralutikos is the Greek word. It's someone who's paralyzed, either uh, too weak to move or some motor skill that's been, that's been hindered. He's all, Matthew also says he was grievously tormented. Words mean tortured by severe pain. Luke says that he was ready to die or about to die. And so here comes this Roman centurion, greatly concerned about this servant, young servant in his house. The request in verses 3 through 5. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, that word instantly means promptly or diligently, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this, for he loveth our nation and hath built for us a synagogue. Now, we've been going through a series on the encounters that Jesus has with different people in the New Testament. And as I studied this passage in Luke, we're going to find out that Jesus never did meet the centurion face to face. In fact, it's because of his belief that Jesus can heal even without being present that Jesus commends him for his great faith. The centurion's request for Jesus to come and help was made through others. Now again, in Matthew 8, 5, as you read that, you might think it's Jesus, uh, that's, it's the Roman centurion that's there with Christ asking him these things. It says, when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him. Matthew says, he came with this request to Christ. That just means that his request was personal. These were his words. 
but they were delivered by someone else on his behalf. And Luke says that he sent Jewish elders to ask Jesus to come. Later, it says when, when Jesus was approaching the house, he sent out friends to meet and talk with Christ. Now, why didn't he come out in person? Wearsby offers some ideas. He says he was a professional soldier and Jesus was a man of peace. He was a Gentile and Jesus was a Jew. Wearsby goes on and said, but this soldier had one thing working for him. He was a man of great faith. The centurion understood that Jesus, like himself, was under authority. All Christ had to do was speak the word. And the disease would obey him the way a soldier would obey his officer. It was worth nothing that only those who are under authority, or it is worth noting that only those who have authority have the right to exercise authority. And as I thought about that phrase, those under authority have the right to exercise authority, I thought about the authority that Jesus said would be given to his disciples and thereby for us. All power is given unto me. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And so the Great Commission is based on the authority of Christ. And so we go with that authorization of, of Jesus Christ himself. Well, the reason he asked in Luke 7, 3, when he heard of Jesus... Uh, Specifically, what had just happened was Jesus cleansed a leper from his leprosy, Matthew 8, 1 to 3. And it says, in the presence of a great multitude who had followed him from the Sermon on the Mount. So he was aware that he was asking the one who had just performed this miracle. He was able to do that. Centurion was well known. He was well liked by the Jews, the the Jewish leaders that were sent, these elders, and they persuaded Jesus to come to heal his servant because he was worthy. It's interesting, if you go down to verse 6, you'll you'll find that uh, in the Jews' estimation, he was worthy for Jesus' help, Uh, but in his own estimation, he wasn't. He said, I'm unworthy. They said he loves our nation and built our synagogue. Brought us in his commentary, writes, He was a heathen, but a lover of the Jews, and had shown it by building the synagogue in which they then worshipped, Luke 7, 5. Probably a large synagogue, the foundations of which are now seen at Telhum, and that is the Capernaum synagogue. And you can see the black uh, level, uh, the, the layer of foundation stones that would have been this, this very synagogue that was built by the Roman centurion. Well, let's look at the Lord's answer in the centurion's faith in verses 6 through 8. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house of the centurion, sent friends to him, saying, I'm sorry, not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter there under my roof. Again, in verse 6, he's saying, I'm not worthy. But in verse 4, the Jews are saying, he is worthy, come and and do this, this, help him. Wherefore, verse 7, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. The centurion knew when Jesus was near his home. 
Luke said that he sent friends to keep Jesus from coming into the house. The message they delivered was that this centurion didn't feel worthy for Jesus to come. Matthew says the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. And the, the words I am not worthy there means I, mean I am not fit. It's not fitting for you to come into my house. He knew that Jesus, being a Jew and a rabbi, couldn't enter a Gentile home without becoming unclean. The phrase in verse 7, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, though, shows that it's more than just him coming into his house. He didn't want Jesus to be unclean, but it shows that he realizes his own unworthiness, unfitness to approach Jesus because of his own sin. So it's not just a ceremonial issue, it's a moral issue that he understood. So he was considerate, not just of Jewish laws, but he was aware of his own sin. He recognized Jesus' authority. He said, I also am a man set under authority. He was a man under authority. He was answerable to someone higher up in the, in the military. And he had soldiers unto him, under him. He knew how to command those who were in his company. He knew Jesus could speak a word and his servant would be healed because behind him he carried that authority of God, divine authority. Let's look at uh, verses 9 through 10 and we'll see the Lord's wonder and pronouncement. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turned him about, that is, Jesus turned himself about, and said unto the people that followed him, because again, the centurion isn't there, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent returned to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. What's the reason for the wonder? There are only two times in the Bible that tell us that Jesus marveled at something. The first was in Nazareth, the city where Jesus grew up. And in Mark 6, 6, it says, And he marveled because of their unbelief. He was amazed that they didn't believe him. With all the miracles that he did, and he didn't do many then in Nazareth because of their unbelief. Here, Jesus marveled at this man's great faith. It was greater faith than Jesus had seen in all of Israel. Wiersbe writes, If this Roman, with very little spiritual instruction, had that kind of faith in God's word, how much greater ought our faith to be? We have the entire Bible to read, to study, as well as nearly 2,000 years of church history to encourage us Yet we're guilty of no faith, Mark 4.40, or little faith, Matthew 14.31. Our prayer ought to be, Lord, increase our faith, Luke 17.5. Consider the universality of this gospel message. It wasn't just for the Jews. It was for all nations. Let's turn over and see how Matthew, who was writing to a Jewish audience, finishes this, this narrative. He shows that God will include Gentiles in his eternal kingdom. Matthew chapter 8 and verses 11 and 12. 
Same account that's taking place. And now just uh, Matthew adds a few more details. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer, outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing or grinding of teeth. There are those outside of Israel who will be saved. Those from the east and west, many from all around the earth will come. And they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Sitting down implies this reclining to to eat, to partake of a meal. Probably a reference to the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the messianic meal. And here are Gentiles who Jesus said they're going to be there too. Again, Matthew's audience is the the Jews. And he's, he's revealing to them that Gentiles will be saved. They'll be in the kingdom of heaven. There are those inside of Israel, he also adds, who will be lost. The children of the kingdom are those in the national kingdom of Israel. The eternal loss is is what's described, outer darkness, a place of weeping, a place of gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is a description that shows up seven times in the New Testament. Notice the healing here in Matthew 8, verse 13. Luke said in Luke 7, 10, that they... uh, They were sent returning to the house. They that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Matthew gives us a little more detail. Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. So we learn here from Matthew that the healing of the servant was commensurate with the centurion's faith. As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And again, I wonder about our faith. I wonder about how much we really believe what we say we believe, what we read about in Scripture, what we tell other people. Because it will be done unto thee. The healing was commensurate with the centurion's faith. Secondly, the healing was immediate. His servant was healed in that selfsame hour, exactly when Jesus said it would happen. At a distance, he heals the servant. And the healing was complete. Well, Jesus mentioned one other Gentile in the New Testament who had great faith. The great faith of the Syrophoenician woman. Let's work ahead to Matthew chapter 15. And we'll read the account that Matthew gives in verses 21 through 28. Matthew 15, 21 to 28. This account is also found in the Gospel of Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. We see the setting here in Matthew 15, in 21, and the first half of verse 22. Syrophoenician woman. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts. Jesus and his disciples were... We're trying to get away from the hostility of the religious leaders. They were getting away from the thronging crowds who were following for the wrong reasons just to to get away and to, to, to take a breather. And he needed some time alone with them to prepare them for his own crucifixion and what was ahead of them. 
says Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. It was occupied by Gentiles, it was along the coast of the north of Israel, uh, and now it's south Lebanon, just 20 miles uh, from Galilee. So they, they were on an on a escape, a vacation. The mountains there would, have provide, a, would provide a cooler climate, and they could there get some needed rest. Mark 7.24 tells us that when they got there, they went into a house so no one would know that they were there. And Mark says, but he could not be hid. <laughs> Who made the request here? Matthew calls her a woman of Canaan. Canaanites were the ancient enemies of the children of Israel when they first came into the land of promise. Mark 7.26 says the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. So she was a Greek-speaking pagan Gentile from Tyre. She had a lot of things going against her, didn't she? Hughes writes, the barrier was so great and it went both ways. Greek women were socially savaged by their own pagan culture, which made this woman's approach to Jesus even more remarkable. Remember the woman of Samaria at the well was surprised that a rabbi would even talk to her. We'll find a request as we pick up again in verse 22. This woman cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her, Not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, and saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Her request is heartfelt. It's urgent. You can imagine the, the turmoil that she's going through with her daughter being demon-possessed. You remember the, the request of the father of the demon-possessed son who was healed in Mark chapter 9. Well, she cried out to him. The word here, to cry, is, is a cry of clamor, of tumult, of grief. She cried out for Jesus to have mercy on her. She addressed him, O Lord, the word kurios, meaning master, and also thou son of David, a recognition, again, that he was the Messiah. This was the cry of blind Bartimaeus, remember? Thou son of David. He recognized this was the Messiah, the chosen one of God. Mark includes the fact that she fell at Jesus' feet, Mark 7.25. Mark also says in verse 26, She besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter, and the tense of the verb indicates that she didn't just ask once, she kept on asking. She kept on crying out. She was persistent. What great faith. The request was for her demon-possessed daughter. She uses a word that we've seen before. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. It's the term that, Jairus, uh, that Jesus used for the woman who touched the hem of his robe. Thugater. 
It's a, it's a term of, of endearment, of love, of affection. And then uh, Mark, Mark 7.25 uses another word, well, uh, thugatarion, which is a little girl, a little daughter. Those are conditioned, grievously vexed with the devil, miserably suffering from this demon possession. It says she had an unclean spirit. Again, a, an indication of demon possession. The request was at first answered with silence. Verse 23, we saw those words, and it's almost that we read them in disbelief. But he answered her not a word. The disciples were irritated, and they responded, send her away. She cries after us. That could be either heal her daughter and let's move on so that we don't have to continually hear her crying or send her away without healing the daughter. They just wanted this to be done. And Jesus answered, talking to the disciples, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Did his silence stop her? No. What did she do? She came. She worshiped. She said, Lord, help me. Sometimes when it seems like heaven is silent and God is not answering your request, it doesn't mean that he doesn't hear. He hears. He wanted to test this woman's faith. And often he'll do that in our case. Keep praying. Keep worshiping. Keep coming. He told her the bread was for the children. And it wasn't fitting to give it to dogs. R.T. France writes, The language seems incredibly harsh, especially when spoken by the same Jesus who had earlier welcomed the faith of the Gentile centurion as a pointer to Gentiles sharing in future blessings of Israel. Perhaps cold print conceals the element of irony even playfulness in Jesus' tone. That is, we're reading words, we're not hearing the intonation of his voice. At any rate, he was confronting her with the sort of language a Gentile could expect to hear from a Jew, and her faith rose to the test. The Jews often re referred to Gentiles as dogs because a dog was an unclean animal. Here, Jesus doesn't use a word that describes that stray dog, that wild dog, but more one who is a family pet. And he paints this picture of a family that's eating in a table. Undeterred, she says, that's true, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. MacArthur writes, although Jesus' priority mission was to the Jews, the crumbs of the gospel did indeed fall from the table and feed humble Gentiles who hungered for the bread of life. The answer Jesus gave, verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Let's read how Mark adds to the description of this miracle. In Mark 7, 29 and 30, he said unto her, For this saying, go thy way. That is for what she said about the crumbs falling from the table. For this saying, go thy way. The devil is gone out of thy daughter. Again, healing from a distance. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. 
So here's another Gentile who is persistent in asking because she believed Jesus was God and he could help her in her greatest time of need. Like the importunate widow, she would not be deterred. She kept asking. What great faith. The Roman centurion and the Syrophoenician woman both stand as two examples of great faith. Again, I ask, do you come to Christ with great faith as they did? They both came in humility. They both came bowing in worship. They recognized who he was and who they were in his presence. They both came with pleading for mercy with persistent faith. They both came believing that Jesus could do what seemed impossible, even from a distance. And God answered their requests. Our theme verse for this past year has been Matthew 7, 7. Keep asking until you receive. Keep seeking until you find. Keep knocking until the door is opened. May God find great faith in each of our hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these two who are recorded in Scripture outside of the nation of Israel but having great faith in you. And I pray that this will be a challenge to us, that we too would have the same kind of a faith, that we would come to you humbly, knowing that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, Help us to come in worship. Help us to, be, to come with, with pleading for mercy. Help us to come with persistent faith. Help us to come with that realization that you are God and you can do whatever you please to do. And I pray that we'll see great answers to the great faith that we express in you because you're a great God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.